Welcome to Talk of the Town. We're your hosts. I'm Nick Barilla. And I'm Zach Renpath. Get ready to listen to our unfiltered thoughts about Pittsburgh sports and anything else interesting happening in the Steel City. Whether you're a diehard Yenzer or just passing through, grab your pierogies and permandies and embrace the Pittsburgh way. This is Talk of the Town. All right, Zach, we're back. Episode three. A lot happened this last week. Uh, importantly, in my life, I went Christmas shopping in Market Square over the weekend. Uh, tons of Maple Leafs fans in town. I guess they travel well, but it doesn't matter because the Penguins beat them. And we're going to talk about that in a little bit. Shout out to Wise County Biscuits in the north side. They just opened the third week in November. Really amazing breakfast, really amazing place. You got to check it out. It's right off Western Avenue. Have you been there yet? I have not. This is the first time I've heard of it. It's going to be a go-to before game day for the Steelers. So, What what have you been up to? Uh, we bought a car on Black Friday. Me and my wife both traded in our cars. We both got uh, Chevy Equinoxes, which I said I would never have the same car as her. But lo and behold, here we go. Uh, something a little bit safer for the baby. Uh, downsizing for me, but I work from home, so I don't need that big SUV anymore. At least it's not a minivan, right? I guess that ring changed a lot, though. I don't hate minivans. My coworker actually has one, and it's nicer than I thought. I don't think I would ever drive a minivan. I feel like as a musician, just trying to you know, get equipment loaded in and things like that, a minivan would be really helpful. But maybe like one of those painter van minivans, you know what I'm talking about, that like churches have. Yeah, see, like if I was going to go minivan, I'd go like all out, like like the, uh, not the Odyssey, but whatever, like Honda's oh, yeah. big one is. Like, like, I would go all-out minivan. I wouldn't go, like, creepy, free candy minivan. Yeah, I know what you mean. Brooks Orpic. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> My favorite player. I love Brooks Orpic. All right, so I'm going to get right into it because before the last episode uh, aired, right after we recorded, literally hours after we recorded, Matt Canada was fired by the Pittsburgh Steelers. Sources close to the team said that Art Rooney fired him. Tomlin came out and said that he fired him himself. No matter what, there was a big difference on Sunday. What uh, do you think there? Do you think it was Tomlin or do you think it was Rooney? Personally, I know that in the end, Rooney was the one to hand him the goodbye papers. But Tomlin was probably the one that said, this needs to happen. Like, professionally, Rooney probably had to have fired him but it was probably both right like i think that rooney gave tomlin the edict that something has to change it's you or him right or like if you fell with him you fell together right and it's kind of like what i mentioned last week is that tomlin can't lose that locker room twice because he's a player's coach so i think this was a tomlin's way of keeping that locker room um reports from all the media and just you know hearing Najee harris talk the media or the media, the locker room was very unhappy with what was happening. So I think this was Tomlin's way to protect his job, Tomlin's way to get that locker room back, and Tomlin's way to protect Pickett. I vibe with that. Um, my my friend texted me during the game while we were watching the game, and he said the Steelers really take the fun out of winning after we took the knee on Sunday in Cincinnati. Um, I definitely agree with that. Let's start with Deontay Johnson. Uh, Zach, you want to elaborate a little bit more? So Deontay Johnson started off bad. Uh, he had that backwards run on a screen pass that didn't really make any sense. At that point, just either go down or 
lean forward and get the extra couple yards. You lose a couple yards there. Uh, he had the drop touchdown, which after review, they said that the Steelers could have challenged that and gotten that touchdown because he had his third foot down. Uh, he has to hold, hold on to that ball. I mean, it was in coverage, but it wasn't a bad throw, and he wasn't really getting hit. I wish he had three hands. Right? Maybe he can hold on to the ball. Yeah. And then what really got me was that he um, gave up on that Warren fumble. There's videos from the snap on that as soon as the ball was snapped, he kind of just gave up. He didn't block anybody. Warren fumbled the ball. He didn't have any interest in trying to recover it. He didn't have any interest in trying to tackle the guy that recovered it. He just gave up. Now, that's the bad. But the good was he had that great deep, deep catch. He didn't give up on the ball. And then there was also video of him talking to Pickett on the sidelines after maybe a bad run route or Pickett just overthrowing him. And that looked encouraging. It didn't look like a uh, negative conversation. It looked like him and Pickett were trying to get on the same page. Guys like Antonio Brown can back it up, and they dealt with Antonio Brown for years because he was having over 100 catches a season. He had that streak with five catches, 50 yards, whatever that weird streak was. Uh, Where Deontay Johnson was drafted, I feel like we're getting a lot of good value out of him. Uh, But, you know, he got paid with the market, and I just feel like we're not going to give him that new contract because I just feel like we can draft somebody that will step up. Pickens is your true number one. Um, Allen Robinson, I'd like to see him get utilized a little bit more. He, I don't think he's dropped the ball as a Pittsburgh Steeler. I think he's on the field more as a decoy. Uh, teams know what he can do. I mean, he's a reliable veteran. Um, I don't think he's the player that he once was with the Jaguars and the Bears, but He's a guy that can take a defender off of somebody to maybe open up uh, Deontay or Pickens so they're not double covered. I just don't really know what else you can do with the wide receiver group. You you have those two. You have Robinson. You have Kelvin Austin, who is kind of your gadget guy. He's kind of your modern-day Randall. I just don't know what more you can add to that receiver room to make it any better. Maybe Calvin Austin can throw the ball 40 yards downfield. Uh, speaking of George Pickens, his efforts are in question. He's another receiver with his efforts in question. Somebody said on Twitter today that um, how Mark Madden called Chase Claypool AB Jr. and I think Deontay Johnson AB Jr. Jr. is that George Pickens is AB Jr. 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 I understand where his frustrations are. I think that we should be utilizing him more. Kenny should be throwing him the ball more. But when you have an effort where if you, it is clear that if Pickens isn't getting the ball, he is not running at full speed. He's not playing out his route how he should. He's kind of giving up if the ball isn't his. Uh, and you can't have that. If he's running hard, if he looks like he's in the play, that defender will be on him closer, especially in, uh, in zone. They'll be pay- paying more attention to him. I think Pickens has to play harder. I don't think any of these guys really have the quarterback. I mean, I'm wearing a Kenny Pickett jersey tonight for this recording of this podcast. Everybody in Pittsburgh last Monday was saying, bench Kenny Pickett. I said, don't bench Kenny Pickett. It's not time. I'm glad we didn't. That first drive looked amazing compared to everything else that's been happening. He definitely can throw it down the field. I'm not saying he's Peyton Manning. These receivers need to stop acting acting like... 
he's this Hall of Fame quarterback, but he doesn't need to be the Hall of Fame quarterback, especially with our defense and our running game. Kenny Pickett looked like a different quarterback. He looked a little more at ease on Sunday. Um, he looked like he was ready to, you know, throw over the middle of the field more. However, he did overthrow guys. Like when he overthrows people, he really misses. I just feel like that's been something that's been constant with him. And six touchdowns on the year isn't enough for me. Him coming out and throwing that first ball down the middle to Fryermuth, do you think that was just a big middle finger to Canada? <laughs> I don't know if that was Mike Sullivan or Eddie Faulkner uh, kind of saying, hey, we can throw down the middle of the field, or they were just utilizing Fryermuth, as Tomlin would say, because he's finally back. You're seeing what he can do. However, Darnell Washington has been there. I, but, Zach, they've been using Darnell Washington in the blocking game a lot more on Sunday. They have. I mentioned that last week is that he wasn't being utilized uh, he was being utilized this week, and I think that's a testament to what Canada was afraid to do or couldn't do, and maybe what Faulkner and Sullivan have came up with. I'm not ready to anoint them as, you know, the saving grace of this franchise, uh, but seeing something new and seeing something that wasn't stale definitely helped. It was still the same old Steelers offense. You still saw some of those behind the line of scrimmage screens, uh, but they kind of got away from that jet sweep obvious if Najee's on the field he's going to run and pick it just looked better. Najee ran through like 12 guys for 10 yards yesterday that he has to win angry runs this week on good morning football on NFL network there's no way he doesn't win even even you know Warren had a couple nice angry runs but Najee I think Najee was in his you know, 2021, 2022 phase last last night. So do you think that's a testament to Faulkner now being, you know, involved? I mean, Warren definitely had his dud game, but he was due to kind of come back dead down to earth. Uh, he still split pretty evenly with, with uh, Harris on the field, but Harris's numbers far surpassed his. Do you think it's just more confidence? No, I, I honestly, what I think it is, is the, and we'll talk about this in more detail here, uh, the Bengals' run defense is one of the worst in the league. Uh, Najee had 99 yards. I don't know how many Jalen Warren had. Uh, Not enough. I, I just think, you know, they're injured. They, they lost some guys to free agency. They're a different team. Kenny could have capitalized a little bit more, uh, especially in the passing game. He had a few runs. Um, there was a play where he appeared injured. Just talking about, like, Najee Harris and Kenny Pickett. Uh, Chris Carter tweeted it out, and he said, as soon as Kenny went down, Calvin Austin the third and Najee Harris thought Kenny was hurt, and they ran over to him. I don't think Kenny's lost the team yet. I think there's definitely – they believe in this guy. Um they're just working cohesively as a unit based on the game plan they're given. So, yeah, I, I don't I don't think Najee was more of a factor. I just think it was a result of, like, who you're playing. Yeah, you mentioned the Bengals' defense. They're one of the worst statistical defenses in the NFL, which is weird because they're pretty mediocre when it comes to fantasy defense. Uh, the Bengals have given up the third most yards per game, six most passing yards, third most rushing yards, and 20th in points allowed. The Bengals' defense is not good, uh, but the Steelers didn't expose that defense, but I think that may just be because Pickett was getting used to a different play caller uh, and that sort of thing. I don't think the Steelers were overmatched at all. I'm just waiting for Adam Pacman Jones to like burn a Claypool jersey on the sidelines or when he gets a 
delivered to his house. Like with Joe Hayden, he burned a box of jerseys. He's like, who sent this to my house? Yep. Going back to Pickett uh, and talking about his confidence. In the pocket, he looked more confident. When the pocket broke down, he didn't do that weird scramble, try to make a twist and lose the defender thing that he normally is trying to do. When the when the pocket broke down, either he stepped up, which we haven't seen from him, or he scrambled, but he scrambled with with a purpose. He was still looking upfield. He didn't look scared. Again, he had more time yesterday as well. You know, I do want to talk about the 400-yard thing. Um, it has been 58 games or whatever it's been that we've collectively as an offensive unit had over 400 yards. But I do want to point out that Multiple times this year against the Raiders and the Titans, the Raiders, we had 362 offensive yards, and the Titans, we had 326 offensive yards. We've come close. I just feel like the narrative is being pushed because Canada's gone that, hey, we hit this over 400-yard mark. Listen, the teams we're going to play over the next six weeks, even if Canada was the offensive coordinator, I kind of don't have a doubt that the game would have been something like 16-10. to 10. I don't know how much of a difference we're seeing. I think we're seeing things like you just said with Kenny Pickett evolving and making smarter decisions. But our schedule is just not that strong for me to fully believe in this offense. Then again, would you rather have a team like ours and get the win, like Mike Tomlin always says we're in the business of winning, or would you rather have a team like the Bills, who are only a couple games behind us, but they can score 34 points in a shootout and lose? You know, being a consumer of the media and being somebody that didn't like Canada, I was taking stock in no 400-yard games as Canada's downfall. But the more and more I look at the NFL, we are gone from the days of seeing all of these quarterbacks that are future Hall of Famers, Ben, Brady, Breeze, Manning, and all of these other quarterbacks that, that, that were excellent. We're seeing more mediocre quarterbacks, and that's going to lead to more mediocre offense. I mean, even Patrick Mahomes is having a down year. He's supposed to be the next best thing, but he doesn't have a supporting cast around him. They're not going for 500 yards and five touchdowns every week. You know, so I think the 400-yard thing, now looking back on it, was maybe a bit overblown, but I still would like to see some more offense from the Steelers. Tom Brady said we're in a very mediocre year, but that's funny for him to say after it's his first year off. off. After it's his first year off after 21 years, was it? Yeah, I mean, but we are, though. We're seeing more rookie quarterbacks than ever. We're seeing a reliance on, you know, not not garbage time calls, but, but we're seeing more of reliance on, you know, some of that, like, garbage yardage and field goals. I think just offense in general is down, uh, which I don't know if that's a good or a bad thing. Maybe defenses are getting stronger. It's good for the Steelers. Um, well, let, let's let's continue that conversation. Let's just go around the league. Let's just go around the league a little bit. Uh, Frank Reich was fired on Monday, and uh, Jack Del Rio was fired, the defensive coordinator um, for the Washington Commanders over the weekend. Speaking Frank- of that, I also saw that there's reports that Ron Rivera has been told that he's out after the year. I heard the new ownership group doesn't want him because they he wasn't their guy. I, I don't know why. I didn't really look into why, but I think Rivera is also a lame duck guy. Um, I don't think they want to lose confidence in that team, though, because they're not strong. They're not bad. And I think Rivera is kind of holding them together as a holdover. I just think it's funny that the Washington Commanders got rid of Montez Sweat and Chase Young, and then they're going to 
fire Jack Del Rio, who brought the Raiders to the playoffs a few years back. And he's he's an NFL guy, you know. Um, Chuba Hubbard had a, t- a touchdown for the Panthers. And Deuce Staley, the running back's assistant coach, former Steeler, also was fired. I don't know what the Panthers are thinking. They didn't even give Frank Reich a full year. I think Peyton Manning's rookie year, they won maybe two games. I'm not sure if Tony Dungy was the coach then. I don't think he was. I think he was with Tampa. That, you know, I just, I don't understand what these owners think, what goes through their mind. Maybe they want to win two more games so the Bears don't have back-to-back first-round picks. I don't know what they're thinking. But to me, it's like, I'm glad we're not in that position. I'm glad, you know, the Bills fired their offensive coordinator. We fired our offensive coordinator, and we still have a winning record. Sometimes, though, I almost wish that we would just fully tear it down. I don't think this team is bad by any means, but I don't think it's as good as maybe the record shows. I'm not ready to, you know, trade off all of our best players and let everybody walk in free agency, but I think we do have to get stronger through the draft, and continuously drafting at the end of rounds isn't really helping that. So the Ravens have the number one seed in the AFC after beating the Chargers on Sunday night. Their defense looked dominant. Justin Herbert is a great quarterback, but the Ravens just seem like they're on fire right now. Lamar's doing what he needs to do. Zabe Flowers looks awesome. However, I feel like maybe they could beat the Chiefs. The Steelers wouldn't beat the Chiefs, but the Steelers could beat the Ravens. It's just a weird system how that happens. Do you think the Ravens are going to hold this? And then, you know, we go over the NFC. The Eagles kind of look unstoppable. Um... You know, the Bills-Eagles game, there was a ton of calls that, that were just very controversial. The one that steps out stands out in my mind was Josh Allen got pulled down, and it was pretty much, to me, a horse collar tackle, and he throws the ball away, and they call intentional grounding. So then they line up for a field goal, and it was uh, tipped. So they didn't get any points out of the drive, and ultimately that's what led to their loss. Are the Eagles good? Are the Ravens good? Like, I just feel like the Chiefs – or even the Bills could still have a chance. It might be the Bills' year just because there's no powerhouse at the top. Like, the Ravens just don't seem like a number one team to me. The Ravens losing Mark Andrews really hurts them. That is Lamar's biggest weapon. And their running back committee is still kind of all over the place. Uh, last night, Gus Edwards did almost nothing where he's been a touchdown machine the last couple of weeks. Um now, that, granted, that may just be a better Chargers defense, but I don't think so. Since Herbert's been drafted, the Chargers are a 500 team, and they've given up just as many points as, as they've scored. It's like basically even. Speaking of coaches not getting fired or getting fired, I don't know how Brandon Staley still has a job. I think it's because of all of the injuries that they have sustained that they're not ready to give up on him yet. Mike Williams can't stay on the field. Keenan Allen was hurt last year. Yeah, he ruined my fantasy season. Austin Eckler was hurt. Uh, you know, I think that they are really putting stock into maybe he's the guy that can help these superstars get, get over the hump. But I'm also tired of hearing how good they are. They can't be superstars if they're not winning. They can't be superstars if they, if they can't stay healthy. Now, there's a difference between, you know, you know, if like Brady goes down injured, that doesn't mean that he's no longer a, a superstar. But part of being good is staying on the field and always putting out a strong product when you're on the field. And the Chargers don't really have that. Yeah, I think Staley's gone at the end of the year if they don't make the playoffs, though. 
look at what Sean Payton's doing in Denver. They started one and five, and he turned that thing around. I think good coaches are just good coaches. So this is only Staley's third year as a head coach. Uh, his first year they were nine and eight. His second year last year they were ten and seven, and this year they're four and seven. But Staley is a defensive guy, so I don't think the offensive woes are necessarily on him. Their defense hasn't been great either, but they've been mediocre enough that I don't think they're ready to give up on Staley. I don't know. I guess we'll see. I just I wouldn't want to see them in the playoffs. I, that's one of those teams that the Steelers would lose to. You know what I mean? There's 100%. teams I can confidently say like. We'll beat the Cardinals. We'll beat the probably the Ravens or the Bengals, even in the playoffs. But teams like those random teams like the Chargers, I mean, I know in 20, 2008 we beat them, but that was different. All right, let's move on to baseball. Zach, uh, Oviedo was confirmed, Tommy John surgery. We kind of hit on that a couple weeks ago. But I don't honestly know what the Pirates' plans are after what I saw happen today in the St. Louis organization. So, Twitter is kind of breaking down. People are losing their minds. The Cardinals in the last week, including today, have signed Sonny Gray, Kyle Gibson, and Lance Lynn. They are not great pitchers. Just because there's a name on the free agent market that you know does not mean the Steelers have or the Steelers, the, the Pirates have to sign them. I mean... But they're better than Rich Hill, right? I think this is what we get for finishing ahead of them in the division this year. They they went after guys that they know that we would not touch, so they would not finish behind us for the first time in eternity. Right, but Sonny Gray is 34. They just signed him for three years, so, he'll, so he'll be 37 when yeah, that he's done. Yeah, he's definitely past his prime. Kyle Gibson, 36, a one-year deal. Lance Lynn, 36, a one-year deal. They're still not Rich Hill. <laughs> yeah, but like there are so many names still out there on the free agent market kind of in that same realm that I'm not freaking out because somebody signed somewhere else. Now, I'm sure that it would be reported if it happened, but how do we know that the Pirates weren't in on those guys and they just decided to go elsewhere? Maybe we're just going to get Otani or who, whoever else is out there. I mean, hey, it could happen. But for me, if this isn't the year, because they said they didn't plan to compete until this year, where you have that young mix of talent with guys signed like Reynolds and Hayes and you got guys coming up through the system and you know, if this isn't the year where we spend, when is it? You have to go out and spend on a starting pitcher this year. You can't compete doing what we did last year with those, like, bullpen games, game after game, and hopefully relying on Mitch Keller to shove every fifth Who day. else do we have? What, is Brubaker coming back? I think I think Brubaker, even if he's back, isn't until June. Um, now you have, like, Contreras, if he rebounds. You have Luis Ortiz. Those guys aren't winning us a pennant. They're no. just not. And Priester is young, but I don't. I mean, he showed some promise last year, but the stats didn't. He's going to take two, three years. I mean, he just reminds me of another Keller Glasnow. I mean, Glasnow's a guy, but he wouldn't come back. I just don't think it would work here. It's a it's a different regime though. So maybe he, it is. I don't think Huntington. I think Huntington gave up on him. So maybe he does come back, but. I, I mean, he's another guy that's injury-riddled, you know? He just got off Tommy John last year, correct? If it wasn't Tommy John, it was something else. That it was, was something major where he missed a lot of time. Uh, another another thing interesting about Sonny Gray's contract, uh, that contract with the Cardinals came with draft pick forfeiture and uh, international signing bonus penalty, something the Pirates wouldn't give up. No, there's no way. So the Cardinals lose their second-highest draft pick. 
and I think they lost like 500,000 in the international pool. The Pirates, that's your bread and butter if you're the Pirates. You're a small market team that's not going to spend. You want that draft capital to go out and get somebody good. Think of a couple years ago when the Pirates drafted all of those top guys because they didn't spend slot on that on first pick. They're not going to give up capital in international pool when there's guys out there that you can sign. But maybe you can go out and get a Martin Perez. Uh, Kente Meda just signed, so 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 he's not coming here. But I also don't want them to go out and get somebody like a Cueto or a Keiko who is too old. Um, I mean, I don't know if it would ever happen, but maybe a Kershaw or a Syndergaard. But those are also big names. I don't know if Kershaw leaves L.A. I mean, Kershaw's numbers have been steadily, not super steadily, but they've been declining the past couple years. They did win a World Series. Um, yeah, I mean, those two names excite me a little bit. Maybe not so much Syndergaard. Uh, he was available last year. I don't think we even tried. But, yeah, it, it's tough. I'd, I'll be I'll be very upset. I, I don't want to say I'm a Fairweather fan, but you don't give me much to root for when you put half the lineups that we had out there last year. So here's a couple names that are guys under 30 that aren't necessarily the top guys. Eduardo Rodriguez, Julio Urias. I like that. You Brandon Woodruff just turned 30, but he's hurt for this year, so I don't know if you bring him in 30's yet. 30's not old, Zach. It's not. I mean, I'm uh, 30, uh, yeah, but, but I don't baseball, want to be yeah. signing these Rich Hill guys. Yeah. Lucas Giolito. Rich Hill's like 46. <laughs> Lucas Giolito is still I, out I there. I would take him. I, would de- I feel like he's a guy that could do well in Pittsburgh. Luis Severino. Okay. I mean, there's a lot of names yeah. on this list. Why not have a bunch of fours? And it would be, like, way better than what we have. Right. And then hopefully maybe one of the guys you have in the organization looks great. Max Kranich came back last okay. year from Tommy John, and he looked okay in a couple games. So maybe he's, you know, some guy that can come up. But you have to sign a free agent pitcher more than one. I agree. All right. That's pretty much it till the winter meetings. I think they're in two weeks. Of course, and after then, this podcast, somebody big will get signed. Yeah, somebody will get signed on Tuesday after we record and release this, but we'll we'll check it next week or in the description. We had a lot of Penguins action over the weekend. Uh, since we last recorded on uh, Monday, the Penguins are one and two. Uh, they lost to the Rangers one to nothing. The Rangers' defense looked really solid. Jonathan Quick is six zero and one since going there. With 1.99 goals against in a backup role. I mean, him and Igor Shesterkin are just that two-headed monster we were talking about earlier, you know, that you need to have in the NHL that we really haven't seen since Matt Murray and Marc-Andre Fleury were winning Stanley Cups for the Penguins a few years back. Uh, and then the Penguins lost to the Buffalo Sabres after having a 2 nothing lead. They kept getting pucks to the net, but the defense looked overwhelmed at times. Then the next day, we won 3-2 to over Toronto. Eric Carlson, EK65, with the game-winning ripper from the blue line with 30 seconds left in the second period. And that would be all that she wrote. That's all that we needed uh, as we shut the the Leafs out for the rest of the game. The Penguins are playing good against good teams, with the exception of that Rangers game. It's been an up-and-down roller coaster season so far, they as did, our record shows. They didn't play bad, though. The goaltending, which we talked about was maybe suspect, looks really good. It Jari shows flashes of greatness. Like, I'm not just talking about he's good. Like, he shows flashes of greatness, and Nadelkovich continues to just, like, surprise me in a good way. It's really the 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 playmakers, the goal scorers, the defense that has let me down. 
the goaltending that we thought maybe wasn't top tier has been keeping us in these games for the most part. Yeah, guys like Zahorna, um, O'Connor, you know, he had an assist on the Gensel goal against Toronto. They're able to set these plays up. Noah Chari's been on a nice run offensively since, you know, he scored his first goal as a Penguin a couple weeks ago. I just feel like those kind of guys are the is the production you need when you're talking about, like, being good offensively. Also, I mean, Malcolm was removed from the power play first line. Uh, you know, we have a 26-ranked power play, and it, I, I just – I don't know how we fix it. And Michelle Terrian, Michael Terrian, you know, he was always – like, who do you break up? Like, Crosby or Malkin, they both have big egos. Like, I think there was a quote like that once that he said. And, you know, Sullivan could possibly his job be on the line. Like, could he be the reason, like, this isn't working? I think so. I think, you know, I think I said it last week or two weeks ago. His message has gotten stale. And even Malkin kind of said to or yesterday in a interview with uh, DK that they need to do something different on – the power play Reardon was brought back here to fix the power play and he really hasn't as of right now the penguins power play is the 26th ranked power play in the nhl 13.2 percent of the time we're scoring versus like the devils who are the nhl's best who are scoring 36.5 percent of the time you think it's a stealer situation where the coordinator goes and then the coach goes and it's kind of like I mean, because there's a ton of games left in this Penguin season. I mean, there's 60 or so games, so. I think the NHL is different, though. If you fire somebody, you fire your head guy. The Oilers fired the, their, their guy because. I mean, they started, what, 2-10? and 10, Something, like, something that. like that. But the Oilers fired their guy because they weren't winning with their superstars. Mm-hmm. T- t- today, the Minnesota Wild just fired their head coach because not they're not winning. That. So. So I don't know if you fire Sullivan. I don't really know how the coaching carousel works in the NHL. You know, if you fire your coach, you normally fire your entire staff. So maybe you bring up J.D. Forrest, who's the Wilkes-Barre coach. But there is nobody really waiting in the wings to take over all those roles. I think Mike Sullivan is one of the most... I think Mike Sullivan has one of the best longevities as a coach in the NHL. It surprises me that the last two times we won a Stanley Cup, we fired our coach at midseason. That being said, Mike Sullivan, who wouldn't want Mike Sullivan as their head coach? I just think he needs a younger, faster team. It's kind of like the Tomlin problem. Yeah. Tomlin is ranked as one of the best coaches in the NHL, or the NFL, (laughs) by people outside of the Pittsburgh media. Mike Sullivan is highly regarded outside of the Pittsburgh media. Now, They've been in their jobs for so long that they're some of the highest tenured coaches in all professional sports. So they've not outstayed their welcome, but it's time for somebody to get fired. And maybe the Penguins need that shakeup. Now, it also depends, though, what Crosby, Malkin, and and what Crosby, Malkin, and Latang want. If they like Sullivan, he's not going anywhere. Yeah, I mean, if Crosby can just, you know, kind of play his game the way he's going to play it, I, I feel like... When Canada made Ben learn a whole new offense his last season, he he said that his son was flashcarding him the offense. Like, what the heck was that? Like, come on. Um, I know they're two different sports, but you're right. Those big three have a big say uh, in what in what happens. It, while we're on the subject of head coaches in Pittsburgh, 
Derek Shelton made some questionable calls last year uh, in games. You know, I know there's been a lot of minor rule changes and things like that, but are we convinced he's the guy to lead us to the promised land? I mean, they signed him to a contract extension. Who knows how long for? After that, like, hot start of the season. They never announced how long it was for. Right. So, I don't know. And then they blew $100 million on Brian Reynolds. Not blue, but, you know, after after what? You win, what was it, 19 games? I don't think you extend, you extend Shelton, though, if your core and those leaders in, the, in that room didn't like him. Well, if you don't have good pitching, I mean, what I've seen in my short time on earth watching the Pirates in the playoffs is that what's going to give us that advantage is pitching. That's what's going to get us to the playoffs. Sheldon is the same as Tomlin, though. He's a player's coach. He's a player's coach with less of a resume, though. I mean, he was a hitting coach for the um, Twins, correct? Right. But – he stands up for his guys, and I think that they like that. I do like that about him. He's not John Russell, but John Russell, I think people liked him. I mean, the, pe- the players. But people liked Clint Hurdle, too, because he stood up for his Didn't guys. Didn't he just get a bench coach position? I don't know if A's? that's true or not, but I think that Hurdle is the A's bench coach. Or, let me look at that. Maybe look that up. was just a speculation. Kind of like how they said that Torrey Hunter was the first base coach and he wasn't. Torrey Hunter can come back and hit balls at PNC Park for us anytime. In the DH role, I would I I feel like he's probably better than whatever first baseman we're gonna put out there this year if we don't get anybody in free agency even at like fifty whatever how old he is. Clint Hurdle has not been announced as anything officially, so okay. I think that was I don't all know rumor. Where I heard that. Then. I yeah. heard that too, though. So I think that's just probably all rumor. I mean, Ron Washington's still out there doing stuff. Like I I just feel like Hurdle. You're talking about players coach. Like they didn't even let him coach the last game of the season. Right. That was so weird. And then you fire, you know, Ray Searage and those guys. It oh, was, man. Searage. It was just a disaster. I just – I give credit to a team like the Browns not much, but right now I'm going to because they're sticking with Stefanski, and they see what's been ha- – That's I think that's how you build a winner. You have to go through those losing seasons. They kept Cower for three years, you know. I, different sports, again, but just – you can't just expect to win when you get rid of your coach every year learning a new offense, and it's going to take time to mold Like you, unless you just plan on winning with sheer talent. I think you need to stick with the coach until it's clear that the coach isn't helping. And maybe in Pittsburgh, Mike Sullivan isn't helping. Nothing nothing has changed. It's the same complaint that people had about Dan Bausma is that he refused to adapt. Sullivan doesn't really adapt. As soon as somebody makes one bad play after he makes a switch, they're right back to the same old stuff. It's not a bad comparison because Sullivan, like Bilesma, even though Bilesma didn't win both the Cups, went to two Cups. And, I mean, he was one of the best coaches at the time as well, and I don't think he got another job in the NHL after that. So, maybe the time is just up. Like I said, he has a long tenure with with this team right I think now. Bilesma became the Sabres head coach for a year or two. Did he? Okay. I think so. But, yes, Mike Sullivan is on the hot seat. I don't know who you bring in to replace him, but I think if the core wants him gone, he's gone. If the core wants him to stay, he stays. But it's certainly not helping. All right. We're going to go to a fun section now. Well, first, I want to talk about uh, the Pitt Panthers. Their season's ended. They won three games the whole entire year. So, congratulations to Pat Narduzzi and the Pitt Panthers. Uh for really not doing much, so I'm I'm he'll probably stay around still. 
Uh, he's under contract. I think Heather like has his back, but who knows? Uh, I'm excited for Pitt basketball. That's for sure. The Panthers, the Pitt Panthers football team, though, did fire Frank Signetti. They Jr. did. They did fire Frank Signetti. He'll probably get a coaching job in the NFL after that and win a Super Bowl. And I'm not even going to speculate who we bring in. No. The college carousel is another one that I don't fully understand. Dave Wonstadt should have never been fired. No. And, I mean, I saw some some rumors today. I think Noah Hiles wrote something in the Post-Gazette. It's just any name that is linked is a name that either has ties to Pittsburgh or ties to some sort of Pittsburgh Panther history, whether it's WVU or Syracuse or one of these teams. And I don't – I'm not going to sit here and say – Oh yeah, bring in you know Fitzgerald just because he played at Pitt. That doesn't make any sense. I think I think you have to think outside the box. Bring in somebody that's actually going to work with these players and somebody that's a strong recruiter now with the transfer portal. All right, let's get to the fun stuff. I mentioned Buddy Johnson in the first episode, and I know why now. I have a desk calendar at work where it, there's like Steeler trivia on it. And Buddy Johnson was on a fact sheet from 2021. And I was like, that's why I thought of Buddy Johnson. Because who? why would Buddy Johnson take up space in my mind? So what I've done is I took a bunch of old trivia sheets from my calendar. And I'm going to ask you a couple of these Steeler trivia questions. Is that cool? I'm going to be awful at this. Okay. Trivia from March 13th. Who is the only running back to earn Steelers team MVP honors in back-to-back seasons? It has to be Franco, right? Did they even have that back then? Wasn't oh. he just default MVP? So it's more recent. Yes. I So let's go Who through this. Who would be your number two? Uh, so I don't think Lev ever won the MVP because he competed with Bell or with uh, Brown. Correct? So it's not yeah. Lev Bell. No, it's not him. I don't think you go to like a Jerome Bettis because, yes, he was the heart and soul of the team, but I don't think he was ever your best player. Is it Bettis? But do you have to be a best player to be an MVP? A team MVP. I I think you do. It's Jerome Bettis. Is it really? Yeah. I'm going to tell him you said that. I have four of his jerseys in my closet behind you. I mean, he was the heart and soul of the team, so I guess it kind of makes sense. Listen, he killed it in the 90s. He's a Hall of Famer. What what year did this happen? Uh, It should say on here, right? Let's see. Because I forget. 96 and 97. We were just young. We were young. Because, like, I'm terrible at this, and I kind of, like, forget that sports existed before I watched them. So, like, I remember Jerome Bettis as just, like, that churner at the end of his career. I don't remember him as, you know, your all-star feature back. All right. Who was the first Steelers player in the Super Bowl era to earn team MVP honors in back-to-back seasons? So, this was the first time there has ever been an MVP honor, uh, you know, in the Super Bowl era. So, this is just overall. This is kind of the same question, but. Offensive player? Yeah. Bradshaw? Yes, Terry Bradshaw, 1977 and 78. Good job on that one. Um, I'm going to try to get a hard one here because I have a stack of like 12. I don't want that one. Oh, you'll never get this. I'll probably never get this. Who was the Steelers' first Pro Bowl quarterback? I, how, I, I would say Bobby Lane. Is but there, I don't know if he made the Pro Bowl as a Steeler. Does it give you a year? It's 1952. Oh, You'll I'm, never get it. I think that's like the one year they made the playoffs before 1972. I couldn't tell you a quarterback before Bradshaw. I have no idea. Jim Finks. I don't never even know who him. he is. Shout out to Jim Finks and his family, and God bless him. Maybe we can get him on the podcast. Yeah. Did I tell the story about JT Thomas? 
No. JT Thomas, uh, top. He was voted him and Mel Blunt number seven overall of top ten cornerbacks in NFL history. It was down at Eaton Park. Down at Eaton Park. Down at Eaton Park. Eating breakfast with my mother, and uh, she said, "I think JT Thomas is sitting next to me." And I was like, "Who the heck is JT Thomas? It's early." And she's like, he used to play for the Steelers. So I came down. I talked to him and his wife. Nice people. Like, super nice people. This guy's tall. He's, like, a giant. Like, he's super tall. He got up, and I was like, oh, my gosh. Uh, but we just talked about, you know, the Steelers. And so I wikipedia this guy. He should be in the Hall of Fame. Dude, like, his stats are insane. He was a first-round pick. I was just like, it was early. I didn't have coffee yet. I'm just like, I like the Steelers. <laughs> it was funny. I was like, I was at the game last week. But JT Thomas today would remind me of somebody like Ike Taylor, Minka Fitzpatrick, like that complimentary, like very popular player. I think anybody on those old defenses could make the Hall of Fame. You just uh, can't not everybody. everybody. All right, last. Oh, well, that question's too easy. Who had an interception return for 100 yards in the Super Bowl against the Cardinals? Debo. Yeah. Well, that's too easy, too. Some of these are very easy. Uh, okay, here we go. With 642 career points, Chris Boswell closed the 2020 season ranked number four on the Steelers' all-time scoring chart. What three kickers ranked ahead of him on that list? As of what year? 2020. Okay. 642 career points. So you have to go with Gary Anderson. He's number one. That's one. Yep. Now you have to think of longevity here. So you're not going to get like your Sean Sweezums or anybody because he wasn't here long enough. Chris Brown? No, but that's a good guess. I also have this jersey in my closet behind you. Jeff Reed. Yes, and I met him. Uh, give me a twice. ballpark of the other guy. He had a nickname after him in the seventies. The fans they had a they had a fan club. The Gorillas. I don't. I have no, no idea. Gorillas. Gorillas. I've never heard Roy of Roy Gorilla. Oh, man. He was the kicker in the 70s. Well, apparently he's really good. Yeah. Roy Gorilla. Gorilla's Gorilla. So the points are Gary Anderson, 1,343. Jeffrey, 919. Roy Gorilla, 731. So Boswell probably won't surpass that unless we keep playing these Matt Canada offensive games. And uh, even then, they don't kick him. No, they don't. But Boswell, let me give him a shout out because he's a stud. He is the Wizard of Boz. He is on all the time. Do you think playing in Pittsburgh has kind of harmed him because we don't always let him kick? Like, like I, I think he's just as good as some of like the top names, but you never hear him compared to Vinatieri or Goskowski or Vanderjack or any of those or guys. Or Justin Tucker, who missed a field goal last night. Uh, there have been years where we won five games just because of Chris Boswell. I don't know the reason why. I think it's because he hasn't played in, like, Super Bowls. If you think about Tucker, I think when he was first coming on in 2012 or whatever, they won a Super Bowl. Venetary's been in Super Bowls with the Colts and the Patriots. So he hasn't been on the biggest, biggest stages just because he hasn't been even in a winning playoff game. But, I mean, I put him up there probably at least the past couple years with, with those guys, if not better now. I don't see him surpassing them. Although, I don't know. How long are we going to have him? Like, Sweezum was good, but Jeffrey got cut, like, the game before we signed Sweezum. So, we've just been lucky with kickers, and that and they fit well to our, you know. Even that guy was good. What was his name? Matthew Wright. I don't know who's scouting these kickers, but they're good. You Punter, know, punters, not so much. <laughs> you know, Pitt 
Panthers always have good kickers also. You blew it. That never make it to the NFL, though, and I don't understand why. Chris Blewett should have a job somewhere. Andy Lee was a punter for the Cowboys for, like, years. Um, I think Blewett was playing somewhere. Was it the XFL? I think, didn't he kick, like, a 60-yarder in the XFL or something maybe, last Yeah, maybe year? he did. Speaking of the XFL, I thought the Steelers were going to have to face, and maybe they still will face, uh, XFL MVP A.J. McCarron. You know. He signed I, with the Bengals. I would keep. Again. Playing Browning. Browning did not look bad again last night. My mom texted me during the game. Hey, I just turned the game on. The Steelers are in it, but Browning looks really good. Who is he? I said he's a nobody, really, when it comes down to it. But I'll tell you what, Browning hung in there. I mean, the one interception to Thompson was the only big mistake. He also got lucky with a couple deflections, but our defense is really good. The only other big mistake that he had, and it wasn't even a him thing, is when he rolled out of the pocket and he had no defenders, and then Herbig just got him. But oh, dude, Herbig's gonna be a stud. Yeah, Herbig's Herbig moves fast. Like, you know, I'd like to move him to middle linebacker. I, I'm sure it's a whole different world being an outside linebacker and a middle linebacker. But man, if we could have production from him, I think he might have played some in college. I could be wrong. I think he played a little inside in college, but. I think that we're primarily using him as an outside guy. So, we have some fan questions. Uh, one of them being, is Pitt basketball going to make the tournament? I would say yes. I don't know enough about Pitt basketball, but I'm going to learn more because I'm going to go to some games. So, I would just what do you think, Zach? So, I mentioned it last week that I think Pitt's going to get exposed a little bit when they play a big-name team, and that happened. They dropped a game to... Florida, where Pitt did not look excellent. They came out strong, and then they really faltered down the stretch. They kind of, yeah, they kind of struggled to hang on there in the end. But, however, I mean, it was good effort. And then they won the next game against Oklahoma State, or was it Oregon State? They came back, and I believe they just decimated Oregon State. Yeah. Shout out to uh, Scott Barnes, the old AD. I think he's Scotty the Barnes. AD there now. Uh, so that was a big statement win after screwing up the entire Pitt Athletics Department. <laughs> Todd Graham. Uh, just they're they're just bad now. Duquesne basketball. Yeah, how are they doing? Uh, they they also lost a heartbreaker. Uh, they were hanging in there against Nebraska, and then Nebraska just kind of not manhandled them, but Nebraska took took the lead, one by ten. That's early. Nebraska is also ranked like fiftieth in Kempom, where Duquesne's like eighty ninth. So. A loss by 10 to that good team isn't a bad way to end it. Uh, there was also some questionable calls by the officials in Always. that game. Uh, of course, I you know listened to the local media, but Duquesne got called for like five fouls in the first minute of the second half because they were winning. Now, we need to have Zach Weiss on here. Go ahead. Sorry. Call him up. I'm, I'm going to call him right now. We're going to see if he answers. Duquesne football also. Is there a game tonight? Because he's probably working. Nah, no. Duquesne plays Wednesday against I'm going to call Irvine. him right now. Let's see if he answers. He's going to be like, what the heck? Congrats, winner. What's up? Zach. Hey, I just started a podcast, man. I have a, Can I like interview you like on the spot? Yeah. <laughs> All right, so we're talking about Duquesne basketball. Zach Weiss, everybody, by the way. 
So we're talking about Duquesne basketball and how they lost to Nebraska. Zach, you want to ask him? I'm with another Zach. Do you want to ask him some questions? Yeah, so Zach, I saw some of, you know, the local media and kind of the fanboys of Duquesne, which I am one, uh, say that the refs were out to get Duquesne in that second half against against Nebraska. Uh, I'm not sure if you can really comment on that, but what was your opinion on those quick fouls to start off the second half of that Nebraska game? Well, when anytime you have an advantage at halftime over a power five school like that, then I think there's a certain expectation that comes with that. And Duquesne entered the game with high hopes. They had just kind of gone through a stretch where they had played four games in eight days, which is never easy, even though several of them were at home. So they had the time to prepare for a game Nebraska opponent. And quite frankly, you want to take the whistle out of their hands. And regardless of whether it was correct, incorrect, or something in between, they just were unable to do that. And, you know, technical fouls, they're part of the game. They happen. It's an emotional game, right? Because it could be one of the biggest wins in at least recent history through the program. And it's been a steady climb for a Duquesne team that's had several ups and downs. So obviously you want to see something like that go Duquesne's way if you're on that team. And the fans had some high expectations as well. Obviously the fan forum and the couple of the message boards really let the refs have it. But it's on Duquesne to adjust to the demands of the game, regardless of what happens. And again, take that whistle out of their hands, and they just fell short in that area. Under Dan Brock, I think we've definitely played a more physical game than we have in the past. Uh, but like you said, you you have to adjust. If the referees aren't going to let you um, do that, then you have to figure out something else. In uh, those very quick reach-ins by, I believe, Day-Day Grant did not help at all. He, he he knew that he was in foul trouble, and he continued to, you know, play hard. And that just has to be a mental thing that you stop doing. Well, I mean, there's certainly, I mean, not to pick on Day-Day necessarily, but each referee crew has something that they look for, and these referees are looking to advance to the NCAA tournament. So if they feel that a player reaches in, then they're going to blow their whistle because there's a lot on the line for them as well. And Duquesne's a team that's very, very known for sometimes getting whistles that maybe aren't the whistles that they're looking for. I know that a lot of people are very sour grapes among the Duquesne fan base that home games don't feel like home games because a lot of times they feel the referees intervene too much, but a lot of times the referees are looking for things, and if you give them a reason to blow the whistle, then it's a matter of course. That's sometimes just what they have to do, but you still have to give credit to a Duquesne team that's going to be among the favorites, was one of the preseason favorites in the conference, and with the way they've played so far, they still are on track to be one of those favorites. They are really playing excellent. If Duquesne doesn't necessarily win the A-10, but they continue to play some of these big-name teams hard, like Nebraska and Princeton. Do you think Duquesne has any shot at an at an at an at-large bid, or do you think they are kind of hamstrung by being in the A-10? The way that this year's gone, I believe the status, the statistic was six for sixteen against these Power Five conferences, and some of it might be by their own doing, some of it not. The reputation last year was not necessarily the best reputation, and. They got a really, really good win that helped their case against College of Charleston, and the bracketologists aren't going to care that Duquesne had four games in eight days and lost that Princeton game, even with or without Trey Williams, which they were without Trey Williams. 
they're not going to care about the fouls and the free throws being maybe a little bit more lopsided than Duquesne fans would like. Those were two really good opportunities, and you probably want to go one-and-one in those opportunities, and they fell short in that area. So really there's a lot to be said for they might have taken care of some business, but I think they know that they've left some out there. But they're also a team that's dancing a fine line right now of having a lot of really talented players and having to tell some of those players to either change or have their roles shortened. So that's kind of what this non-conference is about. And sometimes you sacrifice a win in order to find more answers. But at this point, the only way that's for certain is to win the Atlantic 10. And that's what they're set on doing. So Zach, you've been traveling a lot, man. Um, Can you just tell us like a little bit about like what that's been like with the traveling and, you know, what you do specifically with Duquesne sports? Well, I try to cover Duquesne sports to the best of my ability. Of course, I have a full-time job I, I do as well. I, I work as an assistant manager in grocery, so sometimes my schedule as a writing is a little bit strung by that schedule. But, you know, you do what you have to do to meet the demands of the day. And, yes, I was able to do uh, both Atlantic 10 men's and women's basketball media days. Within a week span, I made the trip to Barclays Center in Brooklyn, and then I made the trip over to Richmond for the new venue that they're going to be playing at, which wasn't even on Uber or Lyft at the time that I got there, mind you, but definitely had that new building smell. But I really enjoy covering Duquesne athletes. I it's a privilege to be able to cover deliver Duquesne athletics at a standard that maybe some fans feel like they had not had before, at least had the constant of having had before and doing it with multiple sports, knowing that it's not just about basketball. I just did football. I just was in Youngstown state this weekend at that football game. The Dukes, you know, sometimes when you get punched, you have to punch back and they just fell short, but it doesn't take away from the season they had, but swimming and diving, I've covered swimming and diving. You take a lot of good soccer soccer shots on your, uh, on your Instagram. Well, it helps that I'm in some semblance of shape and that I warm up for 40 minutes before the game. That helps a lot. But I really am enjoying being able to bring Duquesne athletics to a coverage level that maybe it hasn't been. And I've enjoyed really good relationships with the student athletes, with the coaches, with the administrators, and with the fan base as well. So it helps me and pushes me to continue to bring my best. And I feel that I'm continuing to do that. And obviously, every time I cover something which we just hit event number 621 the other day it's oh, wow. it's been a blessing and a privilege or i'm a fossil one or the other i'm not <laughs> sure yet oh that's awesome man yeah zach uh weiss what's your what's your instagram where can we I'm follow sorry, you where can we follow you at on instagram uh, instagram and twitter or x whatever your preference of that platform is they're all just the same at zachary m weiss I get to cover Duquesne stuff. I also get credential to cover the PGA Tour, among other things. I've covered the Pirates in the past. So I've been able to do a lot in my 16 years of journalism. And obviously, I enjoy trying to tell the story on, you know, on the field, off the field. And in my case, the Instagram is a little bit more fun. But love trying to tell the stories and love trying to continue to do that at a high level. Well, Zach Redpath is on my podcast. He's my co-host. And he went to Duquesne. And he has another question for you. Yeah, Zach, I just have one final question before I let you go. You mentioned the Duquesne women's team. Dan Burt has really came on strong after he was promoted to head coach probably about seven years ago now. Uh, This women's team barely lost to a ranked Princeton. They beat Niagara, beat Howard, beat Pitt, and they're playing right now against Bowling Green. 
Do you think these women have a chance to make the um, tournament as, as well? I know they have before under Burt. Well, I think the Atlantic 10 is going to be, is again on the rise, but it's a conference that's probably going to be a one bid league on the women's side as well this year. And that's, I think, a big reason, another reason why you schedule as tough as the Duquesne women have. There's probably of the top 50 games in women's basketball, Duquesne might have the most of them in terms of non-conference and where they stand. So there's a lot of experience back. They bring about 95 to 98% of all relevant stats back from last year with some newcomers that really bring some good wrinkles. And they just got an emotional city game victory recently against Pitt, which is huge for that program, especially for such a an upper class level group and Dan's been someone that in his second year made the NCAA tournament and now that he's been a head coach for as long as he has as one of the more tenured coaches in the conference he knows what to expect and he's talked this team up he expects a lot out of this team but you know when you have so much experience it, it can be a blessing but you also have a lot of teams and programs that have younger student athletes and you have to maintain that edge when you've already logged so many minutes on the court so many minutes in the practice court and so many bus trips so it's a tall order but this Duquesne team has the pieces both teams have the pieces to do it and not many team not many programs in the conference can say that so both teams are in position it's just a matter of if they can finish the job dude Zach thank you so much man I know we just kind of like called you on the spot but we we're so happy that you answered. We've been talking about having you on the podcast, and I was like, I gotta call him. I got so we just like called you right when we wanted to have you on. So yeah, no, I think that's it right now. But we're we're just happy to have you. We'll probably call you again in the future. That's fine. Yeah, thanks again for being on, man. Thank yeah, you. you. Got it, Nick. No problem. Zach and I go way back to middle school, and he's just been covering sports here locally probably since we've been in college, uh, almost ten years, and. Just a good guy and uh, interesting guy. He'll he'll probably be on to talk more about other things like wrestling and he's met a lot of celebrities and stuff like that too. So, but really cool Duquesne Dukes conversation, right? That's your alma mater, Zach. It is. Uh, hopefully next time it's not kind of as impromptu and I can actually get some um, questions that I can that aren't off the top of the head. Those were good questions though. That that's that's what that's what the media is. You got to be on now. You got to know those questions. You know. Duquesne kind of always gets left out of, of the conversation because Pitt's in town, but they have a really good sports department. Um, Zach Weiss was just telling us that they have a city game between the women's teams now, but did they start that with the men's teams again? They did, but it kind of fell off once Capel, I believe. That's what I mean, but coach. since since like Capel got, became coach, I know it hasn't been, but... No, I mean, from a Duquesne... So it never stopped with the women's. No, from okay. a Duquesne perspective, I think Pitt doesn't want to lose to... Duquesne but you know Dave Harper has really turned the Duquesne Dukes entire sports program around um he came in for Amodio who was the GM or the GM the AD before him and you know they need covered more because they have some really good teams yeah Duquesne football just lost in the playoffs to Youngstown State I heard about that they played WVU this year listen Dan Rooney played quarterback at Duke Duquesne sorry Dan Rooney went there. Yeah, like Duquesne football has really scheduled tough opponents. Um, I think it's to make that team better. It's not to, you know, bring in a money. It's not for, like, showmanship. It's to make his players better. 
I'm very happy with how Duquesne is scheduling. I'm very happy with how all of Duquesne sports is playing out. They just need covered more. All right, one last thing, and then we'll call it a week. We'll wrap it up. I am very upset with Fubo TV because I can't get my sports package. It always has a problem with my credit card, and I'm just done with it. I'm just over. It says that there's a problem with mine, my wife's. I don't want to go down to Xfinity because I don't want to get into some contract. I just want it to be like, hey, just pay for the Penguin games for the season and then get rid of it for the Pirates season because I'll probably just go or watch it at a bar or something. But Max had the Penguin game on the other night. Uh, It was HBO Max against the Sabres, and the whole time it was lagging and it was behind. Why even stream? And it wasn't blacked out. It was local. I mean, you have cable, Zach. Yeah. Not Not all of us can be that privileged. I'm actually looking to cancel K-Able. I really only have it so I can watch sports. We can just go up to the draft house or down Permanis to watch the games, I guess. I, I might start. I only have K-Able to watch sports and, you know, some other, like, one-off shows that I could probably get on Hulu You're going to have a baby day. soon, though, so. Yeah, but we have, like, all the streaming services. We have Hulu, Netflix. Yeah, that, I know, man. It's it's just, there's so much. But live sports, man. At least the Steeler games are still local. You said this is the last segment, but we have one more thing. Oh, what's up? The Steelers today were on the Immaculate Grid. Oh, man, we got to do it. Did All you right. play? No, let's finish it. Okay, so the top row is Chiefs, Chargers, and then only one team. Down the side, it's uh, Browns, Steelers, Broncos. So I'll start. Steelers, Chiefs. And Juju's the first one that comes to mind. Melvin Ingram. Oh, that'd be a really good one. Yeah, that'd be better. Or do you want to go like Lev Bell? That'd probably be even less. Do Lev Bell. Le'Veon Bell. 23%. So. I bet Melvin Ingram might be less, come to think of it. Nah, uh, that's fine. Uh, Steelers, Chargers. Who is that? Melvin Ingram. <laughs> well, him, Kalen Balazs. Who else? Oh, yeah, Kalen Balazs. Virgil Green, was it? No, not Virgil Green. Who was that tight end we had? I don't even know if he even took a snap. Ladarius Green? Yeah, I think he played for them. But I know Kalen Balazs definitely did, and Ingram definitely did. Did Chris Brown also play for them? Uh, that's your... your I mean, that's... I don't know. Well, let's go Balazs. I feel like he'll be... Balazs uh, is definitely there. Kalen Balazs, 2%. Uh, there we go. And then Steelers... Only one team. Roethlisberger. So some, that's that's so obvious. Um, it has to be somebody else. Like, I'm mean, even like Ward is too obvious. I think you have to go like somebody in the trenches. What about Mike Webster? No, he played somewhere else at the end of his career. Did he? I believe so. Um, jeez, um, man, Pouncey. I think he's too obvious. Daniel Sepulveda. Yeah, because he ended his career. Oh, yeah, that's going to be like 1%. Definitely put him. Daniel Sepulveda. Because he had a career-ending injury. 0.02%. Oh, good call on him, man. I was so pumped about him. Now we have Presley Harvin. It's like kind of a down. I saw that uh, Brad Wing is getting a tryout in Denver. We should try him out again. Kansas City and Denver, speaking of. Uh, Jamal Charles? Did he play in Denver? Yeah. Really? Yep. Are you sure? Yeah. That's him. Oh, no, wait. Yeah, yeah, he played for both. He played in Kansas City, and then he went to Denver. I don't remember him playing in Denver. He did. Jamal. I played Madden 09, I know. Or whatever year that was. Why can't I get him on this? Just type in like C-H-A-A-R-L-E-S. I think there's two A's. I can't I, I can't get him. Or no, it's J-A-M-A-A-L. 
There we go. 31%. Oh, okay. Well, well, you're not a part of the 31%, Zach. You didn't know. San Diego or L.A., whatever you call it now, and the Broncos. Oh, Melvin Gordon. Yeah. Did Wes Welker also do that? Wes Welker. Ooh. Maybe Dolphins, Broncos, Patriots. Did he start with the Chargers? I don't know. I know Melvin Gordon let's did. Go to Smel- let's go Melvin Gordon. Oh, yeah. 66%. Okay. Only one team in the Broncos. I hate this. So oh, this is- oh, oh. Terrell Davis. The did running back. There? Yeah, he retired. I think, well, he only played six seasons and made the Hall of Fame, but won like two Super Bowls. Terrell Davis, 7%. Or you could say somebody like... Uh, no, Paxton Lynch, I guess, played for the Steelers, but he never played. So. Yeah, I think it's people that only take a snap. Yeah. Uh, the Browns. Oh, Tim Tebow, no. <laughs> the Browns and the Chiefs? I have no clue. I, I want to say, would... like, Sean Rogers or somebody random I like think that. you have to go, like, quarterback here. There Brody Croyle. Somebody... That's who I was thinking, I have too. no clue. Uh, ooh. You got a lot of Browns quarterbacks to work with in that case. Hmm. Let's come back to that one. Okay. Then you have the Chargers and the Browns. Tyrod. Yeah. Tyrod Taylor. Kellen Winslow's dad played for the Chargers, and his son played for the Browns. Kellen Winslow Jr. is in jail now, I believe. I believe so. <laughs> yeah, he got he, into some bad he stuff. He will not be on the podcast. And the, uh, the, the, the Browns passed on Ben Roethlisberger to draft him. They did. I mean, he's a great tight end, but... But why did you need a tight end and not a franchise right. quarterback? Charlie Fry. And then only one team in the Browns. Jim Brown? I don't know. Uh, I mean, you could also go like DTR or That's somebody like that. That's what I was like thinking. That. Or oh, let's Nick think Chubb. about it. Wait, let's think about this. Oh, Trent Browns, Richardson? Chiefs, Kareem Hunt. Oh, dude, that's – oh, I didn't even think of that. That's a good one there. And it's going to be so obvious, but – Yeah. Kareem, that wasn't obvious for me. Kareem Hunt. Oh, yeah, 53%. And then only one team in the Browns. I think this is like where you have to just get weird. I mean, uh, Tim Couch, did he only play for the Browns? He should have only played for the Browns. I feel like he was probably somewhere else as a backup and took one random snap. Uh, I don't know enough about the Browns. I mean, you ha- I mean, you can go like Nick Chubb. Yeah, like that's what I mean. You might have to go a current guy. No, what? Let's go, Tim Couch. I'm pretty sure he only played there. We're not going to be immaculate. Tim Couch. Yeah, we are. Two thirty-seven. Oh, I was just thinking of Deshaun Kaiser, but he played in Green Bay. Tim Couch was one percent. Oh wow, good for you. You're a part of the one percent. There we go. That's like my bread and butter. These like weird like yeah. one-off. Do we have anything left? The baseball's hard today. Did we finish? Did we were we immaculate? Yeah, we were. What was the rarity? Two thirty-seven. Oh, that's good. That's our best yet. Let me see. Most popular, we did have Kareem Hunt, Taylor, and Melvin Gordon. Oh, okay. The other most populars were um, only one team in the Browns, Nick Chubb at 17%. Juju for Steelers Chiefs He's at He's the only 63. one I can think of. Derek Watt, 36. Oh, Derek Watt played for the charge. Ben for 31 and only one team. Uh... Broncos Chiefs was Frank Clark at 34. Okay. And then Broncos one team was John Elway at 27. I was wondering about Elway. 
I didn't. I don't know enough about him that if he only played for one team, but I would assume he did. I feel like a lot of those like big name guys went somewhere else to finish up like one or two years at the end. But you're right. Like I don't know enough about Elway's career. Franco Harris played for the Seahawks. Mike Webster played somewhere. I just don't remember where. Google that right now. Then we'll end. I want to say Mike Webster. I want to say it was like the Raiders or something. He would never have or played the, for the Raiders. Or the Chiefs. I can see him playing for, like, the Bears or Mike something. Mike Webster right. played for the Steelers and the Chiefs. Okay. Oh, well, there's there's one. Did you say that earlier? I, I just did, but... But, I, like, as a guess? No, I don't no, think so. I, Okay. All right. Yeah. I think you said Webster for one team only. Yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. All right. Well, this has been good. Uh, I'm sure Mike Sullivan will get fired. Narduzzi will get the head coaching job for the Panthers and like a bunch of other, the, the Carolina Panthers <laughs> and so much other stuff will happen uh, until we record next. But thank you guys for listening and have a great day.